All right, David, thank you so much for that time of singing and praise. Now, friends, this is our opportunity to hear God's word, to hear what the living God has to say through his living word to living people today. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. And today we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 21. So the Gospel of John chapter 21. Well, if you weren't able to join us last week, of course, as you all know, was Easter Sunday, and it was just an incredible time of gathering together. Fortunately, many of us were able to gather together in person, and we focused on what the very heart of Christianity is, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, even though there's many things about Christianity, perhaps moral ethics and codes and things of that nature, and yet the Apostle Paul is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not raised, then Christianity is futile. It's not just a belief system. It's not just a moral code. It's not a philosophy. It is a living reality centered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so it is so important for us to remember that Christianity is not only truthful, it is powerful. And we need that power in order to live the Christian life and to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. And so if the spirit of the resurrected Christ was moving on our hearts. And perhaps for some of us, it's we know about Jesus. We've been perhaps Christians for a very long time, but maybe we've grown stagnant in our walks with the Lord. We've started to backslide. We don't want to hear the word of God as much. We don't want to sing and praise as much. We don't want to serve the body as much. We don't want to witness to the lost as much. For some of you, perhaps you were never a believer. You were not a Christian. And the only reason you were at church Sunday or you tuned in online is because a family member has been nagging you for years. And maybe you don't even normally acquiesce to such requests. You say, no, I'm not doing it. But this year was different. This year he said, you know what? I'm, I'm open to it. Maybe it's because this last year has just been crazy and everything I kind of thought I knew has been just shaken. All right, I'm open to it. I'll just go. And maybe by the Spirit of God, as you were listening to the Word of God being preached, suddenly old truths you've heard many times before but never received for yourself, suddenly you found yourself being strangely able to receive and welcome these words. Maybe there was an inner voice in your heart saying, yes, yes, this is the word of God. And so if the Lord began such a work on Easter Sunday, which I believe that he did, if he began such a work, if you left service saying, my heart has been strangely moved and strangely warmed, but the obvious next question on Monday morning is, now what? Now what do I do? If it's true, Jesus died and rose again. If it's true, everything I knew about life and the universe and the past and the present and even the future is now being changed and it's different and the greatest truth in all of history has been revealed to me in Jesus Christ. Now what? What do I do? And I think we're going to see the answer to that 
question, now what, here in the Gospel of John chapter 21? What would the very next step be for somebody who feels moved by the Easter story, the story of Christ's resurrection? And before people get bogged down with so many other things, I want to lay before you what I believe is not only the next step, I believe it is an essential step for any and all believer in Jesus today. So open up in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 21. And today we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. So I'm going to begin by reading this passage as a whole, and then we will pray and we'll get into our study this morning. So Gospel of John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we just pray that the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead would awaken the hearts and minds of all who are listening to the word this morning. Lord, we pray that as your word goes forward, it would go forward not only in truth, but in power. We believe that your word is able to raise the dead to life. Your word is able to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to give strength to the weary, and knowledge to those who lack it. Lord, we just pray that you would enable us to come before your word this morning with humble hearts 
like little children, not self-sufficient and proud, but humble. Lord, and out of that humility, may we receive the word of God as food for our souls. We ask that you would bless it, make it more than enough to feed your people, testify to the reality of Jesus and his love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what would you do the day after you received the greatest bit of news you've ever heard in your life? Perhaps maybe some of you, you'd pick up the phone and you'd call your mom, you'd call your dad, you'd call your son, your, your daughter, your brother, your sister. Uh, where would you go? Uh, maybe you would immediately book a vacation to Bora Bora or Hawaii or, or something like that. Or uh, what, what would you do if you heard just the greatest news you'd ever heard in your life? Well, let's up the ante a little bit. What if it wasn't just the greatest news you ever heard in your life, but literally the most mind-blowing, earth-moving, historically unprecedented thing ever happened? What seemingly was impossible to you and your worldview has taken place. What would you do the next day? Now, it's kind of funny because many people uh, try to attack the Bible, they try to attack the Gospels, and try to poke holes at where they can, but one of the things that I find time and time again is, is I read the Bible, and I read it humbly, but at the same time critically, I am absolutely fascinated about how historically valid the accounts of the Gospels are. And one of those pieces of information that, that rings so realistic to me is what we find the disciples did after the most amazing truth in all of history. Christ has defeated the power of sin and death. He's rose again from the dead, and he's declared himself to be alive, showing himself to disciples. And now what? What did the disciples do? They go fishing. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit anticlimactic to me. Is that really what you would do the next day? And by the way, maybe there's like one of you out there where if you receive the greatest news you've ever heard in your entire life and your mind has been blown by something supernatural, maybe you would go fishing because fishing's like your favorite hobby. But remember, fishing is not a hobby for the disciples. Fishing is their vocation. It is their job. It is their livelihood. So even though this probably happened a little bit amount of time after Easter Sunday, in John's narrative, it follows right after Sunday. So it is, as it were, they've experienced the resurrection of Christ. Their hearts have been moved. They've been enabled to believe the doubt that we saw that was plaguing every single disciple, not just Thomas, but every single one. And the Spirit was overcoming that doubt so that they were able to believe in Jesus and see him. What do they do? Now what? They go to work. On Monday morning at 9 o'clock, they still get in their car. They still have to go to work. It makes sense. They still have to pay bills. They still have to eat their food. And I think for many people, when they have a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, they experience the truth of the gospel, they kind of have this idea like, Everything should just now be supernatural. Everything should seem extraordinary. But friends, not only is that not true, if we believe that, I think many people are going to get just turned off by their experience. 
because for them, everything doesn't seem to be necessarily extraordinary. After all, even if you place faith in Jesus Christ for the first time on Easter Sunday, yet Monday morning, the sun still came up, the bills are still due, your boss still expects you to be at work, your employees are waiting for you to show up to, to the meeting, and you, and you went. And so I just want to say that even though the most radical, groundbreaking thing in the history of the world, the resurrection of Christ, and even as we participate in that through faith, life in many ways still goes on. And yet in the midst of the ordinary, we are going to see that Jesus is forming disciples. He's forming extraordinary people through the ordinary occurrences of life. And so let's begin our journey through John 21, 1 through 14. There's a single main point I want to make. It's the answer to the question, now what? What is our next step after Easter Sunday? But let's look at the many things that are happening here in this text. You'll notice it begins chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. So that phrase, after these things, is John's way of saying that this is a new scene, a new pericope, and that's a fancy word that just means a new narrative, a new narrative unit, metatauta, after these things. So if you remember, John doesn't record any journey that's been made from the end of chapter 20 to the beginning of 21, but apparently a journey has taken place. If you remember, Jesus died in Jerusalem. He was crucified outside the walls, and he was buried there. The last time we saw the disciples, they were hiding for fear of the Jews inside a building, inside a house, somewhere there in Jerusalem. And that's when Jesus makes his initial resurrection appearances to them. However, when we open up John 21, suddenly they are no longer in Jerusalem. They have gone north. They've gone north up to Galilee. So John doesn't record that journey, but they are no longer in Jerusalem. Some amount of time has taken place, not a great amount of time, um, but some amount of time, maybe a couple days, maybe a week. We're, we're not quite sure exactly how much time, but some time has passed. Now, some commentators have suggested that because the disciples went back to their job on Monday morning, they went back fishing, that somehow they're apostatizing, <clears throat> that somehow they're forsaking their calling. And I think that's not true at all for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, at least partly we know they're just being obedient. Now, John doesn't record this, but Mark does. In the Gospel of Mark, before Jesus even died, he made clear to his disciples that after he died and was raised again from the dead, they should go to Galilee. They should go to Galilee, and he would meet them there, and he would show himself. And even the angel, after Jesus died and rose again, the angel reiterated those instructions. He's gone ahead of you to Galilee. So, so far, the fact that they're not in Jerusalem, they're in Galilee, that's actually obedience. They were told to go. But God didn't tell them what to do when they got there. And Jesus didn't say exactly when he was going to appear. So what, what would they do? 
They did naturally what they knew to do. They continued to do their job. They continued to work. They continued to need to eat and pay their bills. And so even for a disciple of Jesus who's been born again by the Spirit of God and they're on a new journey, yet you continue to live life. Granted, we don't want to continue doing anything we know to be sin, but anything that's not sin, you, you don't just have to quit everything you're doing, quit exercising, quit going going to work and do all this stuff. I know sometimes people, that's what they think of the Christian life, is abandoning all the ordinary things. That's not true. You continue to do what you know to do. And working for the disciples was a natural next step for them. By the way, the Sea of Tiberias is just another way of referring to the Sea of Galilee. So we have another scene after these things in Galilee. Now, who are the disciples present? Now, we don't have a large group of disciples. We don't even have all 12. What we have is, at least recorded, seven disciples. Verse 2, we see Simon Peter, who's going to be kind of the main figure here in this narrative. We're going to have Thomas called the twin. Again, as we talked about last week, I think he is unfairly called Doubting Thomas because everybody doubted, every single person, and Thomas was not there when everyone else got to see the very thing he asked to see. So it seems a bit unfair to call Thomas Doubting Thomas. And after all, everybody has doubts to some degree. We also have Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Now that would be James and John, and it's interesting that they're not named specifically James and John, and that may be keeping in this idea of the writer of this gospel who wishes to remain anonymous. The writer of this gospel simply refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which tradition says is John, and I, I feel pretty strongly that it is the Apostle John, one of the sons of Zebedee. And then two other of his disciples who are not named. So in Galilee, the scene is set. They were told to go there, not told what to do, not told when Jesus went to go. So they're just doing what they know to do. Now, here's where the story really begins. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Again, as I said, this is not just a hobby. This is Peter's job. It's what he's done his entire adult life up to this point. And he's also demonstrating some leadership characteristics that when Peter decides to do something to begin a work, we notice that others are following Peter. So he seems a natural choice in a sense to be a leader, even though as a leader, he is certainly an imperfect man. It says, they said to him, we are going with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, this should, if for anyone who knows the other gospel stories, you'll start to see that this story sounds familiar. Now, interestingly, John did not give the parallel account that happened earlier, about three years earlier, but the gospel of Luke does. In chapter 5, <clears throat> at the very beginning of Jesus' call of the disciples, a similar occurrence happens. And you can write this down, Luke 5, and take a look at it later. But in that situation, Jesus is calling the disciples for the very first time, and they're fishing, and the same thing occurs. They've caught nothing. Jesus gives them instructions. They follow Jesus' instructions, and they get an overwhelming catch 
of fish. And so it's important to understand this is not a first time occurrence. This is something not only that's miraculous in its nature, but it's the kind of thing Jesus has done before in their lives. And disciples of Jesus are to look for patterns. We're to look for ways in which God has worked in our lives in the past and be mindful of those things. Again, it doesn't mean God will always work the same way twice. There can always be differences. But we always want to be mindful of the pattern of God's workings in Scripture. And we want to be mindful of the patterns of God working in our own lives as well. Because sometimes that's the only way we're going to recognize what God is doing. Whereas otherwise, we would not know. Verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore... Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So they're out far enough, and it's probably just daybreak. So as they were fishing at night, apparently it was easier to catch fish at night. And when they're doing that, they would be more towards the deeper end of Galilee. So they're coming back in after a long night, fruitless night of catching nothing. And they just see a silhouette. They probably just, it's a guy. That's all they can see. And he's off on the shore. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Now, I think already just by Jesus' voice calling out, and, and again, they don't know immediately from this man's voice that it's Jesus. But already it seems like they should be acknowledging there's something different about it. He calls them children. And that's the way God calls each and every one of us. He calls us as children doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter if you're actually a child. You're only 5, 10, 12 years old, something like that. Even if you're 25 or 95, God always calls you as a child. And so already part of the life of faith is humility. In order to hear the voice of God, we have to overcome the kind of self-sufficiency and pride that we've come accustomed to living in this world. Many people in this world, they pride themselves on being self-sufficient, on needing no one or nothing, certainly not God. But if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus, we're going to have to learn to come to him as children. We're going to have to hear that not as an offensive term, as some might understand it, but rather as one of endearment and one that is calling forth a certain ethical response. As I talked about last week, evidence is important. And everybody needs some amount of evidence of some kind. But as I was pointing out, there's a deeper issue than just evidence. It is, there's an ethical, spiritual component. Are we humble? Because if we're proud and prideful, it doesn't matter how much evidence somebody gives you. You just won't believe because it doesn't work with your desired results. But if we're humble and we say, I'm willing to follow wherever the evidence leads. If it leads to Jesus as Lord, then I will follow him. If it doesn't, then I'm not. But if it does, I will. And that's the kind of humility that all of us, whether you're a brand new believer, you are just started following Jesus, or you're somebody who's followed Jesus for many years, we must be humble like children. The response to Jesus is simply no. There's no elaborate response because, again, at this point, they still don't know that it's Jesus. It's just some guy who maybe needs some food. Verse 6, And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
Now, interestingly, it might be the case, as some scholars have pointed out, that normally you would cast the net on the left side of the boat because apparently it was common that this steering oar would be on the right side of the boat. And so Jesus may possibly, and it would certainly be congruent with many times the way God calls people, these professional fishermen who've been working all night, and they kind of know what to do. Who are they to need advice from some stranger on there? But Jesus calls them to do something a little unorthodox, a little outside the box, and, and put the net on the side you normally wouldn't do. And so once again, notice the humility that's at work. They didn't say, we know better. We've already done it. We did it on the right side. You don't understand fishing. We understand fishing. It, it, it never goes out on the right side. Notice the humility. Lord, we've been laboring fruitlessly. And that's, I think, how many people come to Christ. They're not going to come to Christ until they've labored fruitlessly for a night and a day. They may simply be like, you know what? Finally, I've worked so hard at my life. I've studied so, so many other religions, so many other philosophies, so other ways of life. I've just tried brute pragmatism, just trying to make a living and acquire material possessions. And I've labored fruitlessly. I'm willing to just let my net down on the other side, even though that's, in my mind, that's just not the best place to do it. But you know what? After laboring fruitlessly all night, I'm just going to do it. So we see the humility, the willingness to believe. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So again, we're, we're seeing it's a miracle, yes, and it's a miracle of provision, but it's one which Jesus has done before. So it works so often, as John indicates, miracles are meant to work. Miracles are never meant to point to themselves. Miracles are meant to point to Jesus. That's the point. Many people today want to see a miracle, but they're not willing to look to the reason miracles are given. And that's to point to Jesus. So they recognize this. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now notice again that the disciple whom Jesus loved, the unnamed disciple, the author of this gospel, is the first to believe. This is consistent with our last chapter that we saw last week on Easter Sunday. You'll remember I pointed out that everyone doubted the resurrection in the beginning. It was not the first thing that they came to believe when they heard the tomb was empty. But we'll notice that John was the first to believe. While some of the others needed to see Jesus' resurrected body, John was quick to believe. He ran to the empty tomb. He had not as yet believed. But once he looked in and saw the grave clothes, not only not on the body, but neatly folded up, laying there where Jesus' body had been, it says he saw and believed. Once again, we're seeing the personality and the character of John, who is quick to believe the Lord. And that is something that is being lifted forward as a paradigm for followers of Jesus. We want to be disciples who are quick to believe Jesus. We are quick to believe the word of God. He says, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Now notice, once again, how the personality and character of both of these guys, Peter included, are being preserved. 
You'll remember last week how in the first resurrection account in John 20, John outran Peter. It says he easily outran him. He ran far ahead of him and got to the tomb. But if you remember, when John got to the tomb, he stopped and he didn't go in. And even though Peter was slower and he's lagging behind John, but when Peter gets there, man, he just charges right in and he goes into the tomb. And same thing here. Peter might be a little slower to believe than John, but man, when Peter believes, he quite literally goes all in. It uses the same word, "ballo." used to talk about the net. It says they ballo, they cast the net into the sea. And when Peter sees that it's Jesus, he casts himself into the sea. And friends, once again, I think we're being presented here another picture of response to Jesus. We're not all going to respond as quickly as somebody else. And we shouldn't be judging ourselves based on how fast someone else responds. But by the way, even if that's you, you're a little slow to believe. But you know what? Maybe you're like Peter, where, look, it takes me longer sometimes, but man, when I believe, I am all in. I don't hold anything back. I cast myself all in on Jesus. And so I think we're being presented various paradigms of faith, being quick to believe, and when we believe, throwing ourselves all in on Jesus. Verse 8, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And again, I don't think we should necessarily see unbelief or, or a lack of faith in the group that decided to, hey, somebody's got to bring in the boats with the net of fish. So they're bringing it in and they're, they're coming too. And so again, we're not meant to compare ourselves with other people. If we're going to compare anyone with anyone, it's comparing us against ourselves yesterday with regard to the faith. We always want to be progressing, never looking at somebody else and comparing ourselves, but simply growing in the faith that God has given each one of us. Verse 9, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and bread. So notice, Jesus is cooking breakfast for his disciples. Once again, friends, I want you to understand, I think a lot of people know there's things we have to do, as Christians, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, I've got to do this. I've got to start doing that. I've got to stop doing and, and there And that's true. There's lots of things we've got to start doing. And there's lots of things we've got to stop doing. But friends, fundamentally, being a Christian doesn't begin with what we do, what we do for God, what we do for Jesus. Rather, it begins with a meal being served to us. It is Jesus who is taking on the role of servant in your life. It really means to follow Jesus, means to allow him to serve you. And I know that can almost be an, an offensive thought. Oh gosh, I don't want to let Jesus serve me. And that's a natural thought. It's, it's even polite in a sense. It's what Peter said when Jesus tried to wash his feet in the upper room. You'll remember Peter said, no, don't you dare, Lord. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you can have no part with me. And so, friends, I think we have to remember, Jesus wants to serve you. He's preparing a meal for you. Jesus wants to give you what you need, first and foremost. You cannot serve anyone in Jesus' name until you've allowed Jesus to serve you. So notice when the disciples bring in their haul of fish, 
Jesus is already there. He's already prepared a meal. He already has fish. I want you to take note. Fish is already there. Yet none of, excuse me, it says verse 11, or verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Now notice that. Even though Jesus seems to, where did he get the fish from? He's already got fish. And yet notice he says, bring what you have anyway. Service for Jesus is simply participation in Jesus' servant to us. We're just participating in what he is already doing. He's serving you, but bring what you have and give to him simply to participate with him. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Friends, I began this message by asking the question, now what? Now what? What happens? If I start to believe in Jesus, what happens if I sense that I am actually beginning to place faith and trust in the story of Jesus? I believe he lived. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. But I got to go to work on Monday morning and I'm not sure. Am I a disciple? Is this what I'm supposed to Am I supposed to be in Galilee? Am I supposed to be in Jerusalem? Is fishing okay? What am I doing? Life has all become new. And friends, I want to tell you, this is the first step. Not only is it the first step, it is the first step for all believers, both young and old, new and mature. We are all called to begin here. Come and eat. Come and eat breakfast. Allow Jesus to serve you. Allow him to feed you the word of God. Friends, the Christian life is essentially one of continual call and response. It never stops. The idea is what it means fundamentally to be a Christian is to continue to receive Jesus' life as your own, to continue to receive the word of God. It means to continue to put yourself in a posture of prayer, humility, and learning. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Allow him to make you a meal. I encourage you, for, for those of you who have never been a, a person who attends church, or some of you, Maybe you've attended church most of your life, but as of late, you're like, oh, I don't need church. Oh, it's online, or, or I just don't want to come anymore. I know all this stuff. Friends, would any of us say, yeah, I used to eat, I used to eat food like 20 years ago, but I don't eat food anymore. No, that's how you die. You don't say, because I ate in the past, I can starve to death today. Not at all. But friends, that's what happens when we no longer come and eat. And so before you Get concerned about what you're going to do for God and how you're going to serve God and, and serve Jesus' friends. Step one, come and eat. Be served by Jesus. Put yourself in the regular habit of attending church together with God's people. Hear the word of God taught and don't ever quit. In your daily walk, open up your Bible in the morning and eat. Let it be food for your soul, just as you would feed your body. So now you have a duty and a responsibility and hopefully a delight to feast on the word of God, to allow the life of Jesus to become a part of you. And so friends, I want to encourage all of us in this next season of life. Let us come as little children 
whose eyes are first opening in the morning. We're stretching out our arms. We're coming down the stairs. And already we can smell the smell of the bacon and the eggs and the French toast. And mom or dad already has breakfast laid out for us. That is what Jesus is desiring to do for you today and every morning the rest of the week. He's prepared a meal and he says, come and eat. Will you humble yourself a child and eat? Because service for God begins with Jesus' service of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this meal that you have graciously prepared for your people. Lord, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to digest these words and that they would become a part of us, nourishing us and strengthening us unto eternal life. Lord, we desire to serve you, but we cannot give what we do not have. We cannot bear witness for Jesus if Jesus has not become real to us. So Lord, we just pray you would present yourself to us today. We pray we would draw close to you. We pray that our humility would increase, Lord. We pray that our, our sufficiency would not be in ourselves, but would be solely in you, like children depending on a loving mother or father. Lord, help us to depend on you day by day, coming forward and eating of the word of God. We ask for a blessing over your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go this morning, I just have a few announcements to give you. Uh, first of all, tomorrow night, we have a community group that will be meeting in San Juan Capistrano. So if you would like, if you're in the area and you'd like to participate in that, we can send you an email of where that information will be, the time and the address and everything. So if you're interested, just email us at information at imagechurchoc.com and we can give you that information. Wednesday night, we have a midweek Bible study. So again, on this theme of just feasting on the Word of God, come and eat. We're going to be feeding the Word of God again on Wednesday night. We also have men's and women's groups that meet sometimes online, sometimes in person. So that varies as well. And again, if you want that information, we will give that to you via email. Uh, also, prayer meetings on Fridays at 12. By the way, if you can't join us for the prayer meetings, but you have a prayer request, you can send that to us either via email, once again, information at imagechurchoc.com, or you can send it through the Facebook message feature and just let us know how we can pray for you and our prayer team would love to be praying for you. A big announcement, next Sunday will be an in-person service. So if you're in the Orange County area and you would like to attend, we will be meeting in person at 10.30 a.m. next Sunday. We'll also be live streaming for those of you that are unable to make it. So mark your calendars if you're in the area next Sunday, 10.30 a.m., on Sunday mornings. Again, for those of you that would like to worship the Lord through tithes and offerings, and again, we want to emphasize simply free will offerings out of joy, delight, love for Jesus, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of sheer joy and love for what Jesus has done for you. If you would like to do that and continue that as a part of your worship, there's two ways you can do that. Uh, first, you can go onto our website, which is imagechurchoc.com. And there's a giving tab up, up at the top, and you can just click there, and you're able to give using either a debit or a credit card. If you prefer to mail in a check, you can do that as well to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway, 
Ellis and Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California 92694. Again, all that information is on our website, imagechurchoc.com. Again, friends, thank you so much for joining with us today. And again, encourage you, if you're watching this later, say hi in the comment section. Let us know you watch the service, where you're watching from. If there's any prayers, we would love to be able to uh, pray for you as well. And let me just close with this prayer of blessing today. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you this week. Go forward now as God's beloved children. Feast on his word. Let Jesus serve you first so that you may be a faithful servant for him. God bless you all. Have a beautiful rest of your Sunday.